0: Um, we've been in a study in, in the book of Genesis, so why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles if you brought them? Uh, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit, but we'll be in Genesis chapter 41. So go ahead and turn there. What we've seen so far and, and all the way through, pretty much, the life of Joseph is that, man, this guy had some kind of roller coaster life. Right? Everything was great, and then everything was terrible, then it was OK, kind of great, but not as great as it used to be, and then it was terrible again. And, and so, man, it was, it, it's just, it's just kind of how life goes, isn't it? Right? It wasn't just Joseph that, that had that type of experience. Most of us have had experiences like that, right to where life is just really up, and you're on the mountaintop, and, and it couldn't be any better, and, and you just love everybody you know, and, and nobody could offend you, and it doesn't, doesn't matter what they do, and then, and then you know, a couple weeks later, things get hard, or a loved one passes, or, you know, life just throws a mess at you, and it happens fast, right? And And in those times, a lot of times, we feel like nobody can do any right, <laughs> right? And we have times where it's just the lowest of the low, and then life will pick back up again, and then it'll drop back out the bottom, and that's just the way it goes, right? And we saw that from Joseph's life, and, and we know that's real life, right? Because we've experienced it. And uh, on the screen, we should have Ecclesiastes chapter three. This is an awesome little passage here. They've, you know, back in the 50s or 60s or whatever, they, they stole this and made it into a song. Made some money off of it, I'm sure. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse one through eight says, to everything there is a season. And a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born. And a time to die. A time to plant. And a time to pluck up. That which is planted. A time to kill. And a time to heal. A time to break down. And a time to build up. A time to weep. And a time to laugh. A time to mourn. And a time to dance. A time to cast away stones. And a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace. And a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get. And a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time to war, or a time of war, and a time of peace, right? There are seasons that come and go. Most of these statements are opposites. You know, one of them's really positive, the other one's really negative, not all of them. You know, sometimes planting and reaping your crops, those are just both work, but man, when you reap the crops, you get, to, you get to enjoy it. So there's hard work that comes, and then there's, there's benefits that come later. And a lot of times, these low points in our lives are that hard work, and they're the difficult times. And on your sheet, we've got a little bit of a, a little timeline here, and we're just going to look at some of the highs and the lows of Joseph's life that we've seen so far. And on the left, there should be some blanks. And what those blanks are, are we're going to write in there Joseph's age when he was going through all these things, right? So the, the very first thing that we have on there is Joseph's visions, and, and you can see all the numbers up there, but Joseph was 17 years old. The Bible tells us he was 17 years old. He was younger than, I think, all of you now. Rhea, Rhea you're 18 now? Or, <laughs> you're 19. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. You, that's right. You were 18. I'm sorry. That wasn't Nice. I wasn't trying to pick on you. I was, thinking, I was thinking you were 17, okay. Not yet 20, that's what I was messing up. <laughs> so so Joseph is, was younger than everybody in here at that time when he knew, right, he knew that he received a vision from God. He knew that he had received some instruction about what was going to happen in his life, some things that he could bank on. And we've seen through the ups and downs, that was the thing that Joseph held on to. It had to have been. He had to have been holding on to the promise that God had given him it hadn 't happened yet, so he hadn't lost hope yet. then he's twenty something it doesn 't say it just says that he was a young man when he was sold to Potiphar and, and worked for Potiphar um, i don 't know if the verses will pop up there or not, but we don't they're on your sheet if you want to look these up and confirm that i I didn't make these things up um, <clears throat> so he was falsely imprisoned, you know. Potiphar's wife tells this lie about him. His, or Her husband either believes it or can't do anything about it. He imprisons Joseph somewhere around the age of 26. And then Joseph stands before Pharaoh at the age of 30. And then there's this dream that Pharaoh has, right? He had a couple of dreams. We saw this last week, the, the dreams he had. And he calls Joseph out of prison because he hears this story that Joseph can tell him what this dream means, all right, so at that time, he's standing before Pharaoh, telling him what his dream means. He's 30 years old. 37 years old after the first half of that dream comes true. Right? The, the, what came true was there was going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of blessing for the land of Egypt, and then seven years of drought and famine to follow. Right, so he's obviously 37 years old by the time that time of plenty is over. In that time, he has two sons. We're going to see that in a little bit. And then two years into the famine, he finally sees that dream, that vision that God gave him when he was 17 years old. That's when he finally sees it come true. That's 22 years that he held on to that promise that God gave him. 22 years passed from the time of Joseph's dream to the time that he saw it fulfilled when he was face-to-face with his brothers. And there were face-to-floor in front of him, right? So how long, here's the question we've been asking ourselves through multiple studies that we've done in here. How long are you willing to wait on the Lord? Are you willing to wait as long as it takes or are you willing to wait as long as you can stand it? Remember, those, those are two grossly different things, right? Th- those are two very different things. Are you going to wait as long as it takes because God made the promise and God can't lie? Or are you going to wait until you can't stand it anymore and then you're going to do your own thing? Joseph waited as long as it took. Some of you are asking God for direction, for deliverance, and it's been days, maybe even weeks, maybe months, and, and you just don't know how much more you can take. It's hard to wait, isn't it? And as you get older, you realize you didn't have to wait as long as you thought you had to wait when you were younger. And you get more patience because you have more understanding and more, more, more experience. And, man, ask, ask my kids. I mean, they've been in school four days now <laughs> this year. It's been forever already. I mean, there. It's awful. Jesus said unto the Father, right, when he was in the garden, he said, not my will, but thine be done. Right? Not my timing, God. Your timing. Not my plan, your plan. Last week when we left off, I already said this, but where we left off, Joseph was 30 years of age, standing before the king of Egypt, Interpreting his dreams, and if you look in, in your Bibles in Genesis 41, verses 28 to 31, and we just kind of looked at this in the, the little timeline, but it says in verse 20, this is the thing which I have spoken unto, unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, and there arise also, or, or there shall arise after them seven years of famine, and all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land, and the plenty shall not be known by the land or in the land by reason of the famine following, for it shall be very grievous. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into the the rest of your blanks and, and things on your sheet. Lord, thank you so much again, as as we've been saying, thank you for the the story of Joseph. thank you for the things that he experienced, the integrity that he held on to through the worst things you could imagine. Thank you that he held on to your promises to show us that it is absolutely possible. It's not easy. Uh, it's, it's not what everybody else would do. It's not normal. But it's right. It's it's integrity. And Lord, I just pray that tonight we would be able to, to be challenged and encouraged to, to continue to to do the right things, and to wait on you, and to recognize that life has these ups and downs, and life has seasons, and and we need to do what's right, whether, whether life is up, or life is down, or inside out, or whatever. We need to do the right things, and we need to glorify you, and, and that is certainly what we want. So I pray that whatever it is you show us right now, we'd be willing to, to say before you say it, I'm going to do it, Lord. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. We thank you for your guidance. We thank you for your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so some of the things that we saw at the very end last week, we saw point one is going to be Joseph's wisdom for life's ups and downs. Joseph's wisdom for life's ups and downs. And what Joseph showed us, or, or or we saw in the passage what Joseph was telling Pharaoh as he was interpreting the dreams or right at the end of the interpretation, he said, okay, now you know what the dream means. He said, let Pharaoh go and do this and do this other thing and do another thing, right? He said, the, you just got a message from God. You just got to see into the future just, just a little bit. You know what God's gonna do. Now, God expects you to react. Right? God's moving a certain direction, and now you know which direction he's going. He wants a reaction out of you. He expects you to move some certain way. All right? And so the things that we saw, we're going to look at a little bit of detail here. The first one is gather food. Right? He was told to to gather food. It's going to be seven years of plenty. There's going to be lots and lots of extra for seven years. Don't be a fat pig, Pharaoh, and eat it all now, right? That's what he's saying. Put that stuff away. You're going to need it later. This is going to be important later. All right, and so the the physical food that we're seeing here for us is a picture of the spiritual food. What is our spiritual food? The Word word of God, right? We'll see that. 1 Peter 2 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow but thereby. Peter is comparing the word of God to milk. You're a newborn babe. He says, and in, in, uh, John says in John chapter three that we, you know, we must be born again. Jesus says in, in John chapter three that we must be born again. That spiritual birth, you know, we're a spiritual baby when we first come to Christ. How do you grow? Well, by the sincere milk of the word of God. He feeds you with his word. Job chapter 23 verse 12 says, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Amen. Job says what sustains me spiritually is the words of God, right? I need that more than I need my necessary food, right? I'm going to grow thereby. And then Matthew 4:4, Jesus says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Right, so they're gathering food up. How do we gather food up for when times get tough? Well, we read the book, right? We read the scripture, we we read God's word. We show up to the well. We show up on Sunday, right? We show up when the book is opened and somebody's teaching from it so that we can get the food. We get discipled. We get with somebody who's a little further down the road that can help us grow up. The way they help us grow up is they feed us the word of God. The second thing that he says to do is to lay up. Right? He says, go gather the food and lay it up in store. All right, and what we'll see here, this, this laying up is, has everything to do with setting yourself up for the future. Exodus 16, 23 says, and he said unto them, this is that which the Lord hath said, tomorrow is the rest of the Holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which you will bake today, and see that you will seethe. And that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. So this is where God miraculously provides manna, this, this bread-like substance for the, the Israelites in the wilderness. Right? And he says, each morning you're going to go out and gather it, except for Saturday you're going to gather extra. You're going to gather extra on Saturday and you're going to lay it up in store because you're not going out to gather any on Sunday because that's the day of rest. You're going to do the extra work today. You're going to lay it up. Later on, you're going to have it, okay? Deuteronomy eleven eighteen. Therefore shall ye lay up these, wor- these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. He wants the Israelites to lay up his word in a position, in a place, so that when they need it later to be reminded, it's there. All right, so we've got to get the word, and we also need to lay it up. We need to make sure that when we need it later, it's there. How do you do that? Matthew 6, 20 says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal, nor steal. 2 Corinthians 12, 14 says, behold, The third time I'm ready to come to you and I will not be burdensome unto you or to you. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians. For I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children, right? We're gonna lay up in store this food Well, Joseph's gonna put it in storehouses. Where are you gonna put the word of God so that you can access it later? You're gonna put it right here, right? You're you're gonna memorize it in your head believe it in your heart, and when you need it, God's going to say, hey, remember that verse? still true. Remember my word that you put in there, that you laid up in store? It's still true today. And you need it today. And that's why you put it there. Because today you're hungry, and that'll sustain you. So it all has to do with putting it In a place where you can access it in the future. If God's word is the source, what are you doing to ensure that you have access to what God has taught you? Are you hiding God's word in your heart? Are you memorizing it? Are you applying what you know, right? Discipleship again. There's you know, there's the saying, you know, give a man a fish, he can he can eat for a day teach a man to fish and he can eat for a lifetime. What are you doing to make sure that you can eat for a lifetime? You can feed yourself the word of God. Well, you've got to grow up, right? So you've got to apply the things that you're learning. It's, it's a whole process. It's a discipleship process. And the third thing he said was to keep it, right? So gather it, lay it up, keep it. And this has to do with you know, being able to to access it is this is very similar to the last point. If you don't have God's Word, when things get bad, you're gonna starve. Luke 18 says, "But that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth good fruit, or bring forth fruit with patience." So it takes some time. Luke 11:28 says, "But he said." Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Does that mean you just got them in your pocket? I laid them up at store. I'm keeping them right here. Now, keeping the commandments. Sorry, I'm spitting on my mic. Keeping God's commandments is obedience. Right? It's... It's, it's, it's finding out what it is, agreeing with what God says, and walking according to that. That's how you keep God's commandments, right? Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. Wherewithal shall a, shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. See, if we only read verse 11, it says, Thy words have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. All I got to do is remember it. No, verse 9 tells us, by taking heed thereto, according to thy word, that's how you cleanse your way. The reason you put it in and you keep it in store is so that you can access it and follow it and keep it and obey it. And he will clean your life out that way, from the inside out. He doesn't need you to come to him perfect and cleaned up ahead of time. He knows that's not reality. Right? We're the only ones trying to pretend that's reality. It's just not us. It's not real. Keeping, keeping God's word is a three-part deal. It's knowing it, it's trusting it, and it's obeying it. So sometimes we can, we can be very wise, like Joseph has told us to be here. We can do everything right. We can do everything we're supposed to do. We can memorize verses. We can you know, put everything in its place and lay it up for later, and life still comes at us full force. And, and the bottom still drops out. What's that all about? Right? What do we do then? When, when we've done everything right and done nothing wrong and life still gets really hard. What do we do then? Pharaoh gave us the answer. Somebody read uh, verse 55 from Genesis 41. All right, so who, who is Joseph a picture of? We've seen this over the last several weeks. Who's Joseph a picture of for us? It's a, it's a, he's a perfect picture of Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. So Pharaoh says, all these people are coming to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh's answer is, go unto Joseph. Whatever he says unto you, you do that. Go to Jesus. Whatever he says to you, you do that. Well, that sounds like our first point, doesn't it? It's very similar, right? But the awesome thing is, point two, God's warehouse is for providing what we need. God has a warehouse. And we'll see, you know, he calls it a storehouse here. Genesis forty-one twenty-nine says, Behold, there comes seven years of great plenty. That's letter A. There's great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. How much does God have? Oh, he's got plenty. He's got plenty. That's okay. He's got great plenty. I mean, that might even be more. Verse 36, it says, And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land perish not through the famine. How much has he got? He's got enough. He's got plenty so that the land will not famish. He's got plenty so that you won't starve spiritually. Even though you feel like you might be. Even though life is that bad that you forgot how good it was before. That's what they said. That's that's the verse we read earlier, right? The the famine is going to be so bad that you're going to forget how awesome the seven years of plenty were. But God's got plenty. He's got a great plenty. Psalms. Psalms 50, or or chapter 50, I can't talk, verses 9 and 10 says, I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. How many cows does God have to pay the bills with? All of them. If you're exchanging cattle. I mean, this guy knows something about that. We can ask in faith, and God can provide. If God's in it, he's going to provide for it, right? If God's moving a certain direction, that's going to be provided for. Because he owns the cattle on a, a thousand hills. They're all his. He doesn't need your cows. He's got his own. The second thing that was said about God's resources during this time the, from the, the plenty in Genesis 41 is that they were, they were without number. It's not because there were none of them, right? That's like when something's priceless, you can't put a price on it because it's so valuable. It can't be replaced, right? It says in verse 49, Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea. Very much until he left numbering. He, he didn't have enough fingers and toes for it was without number. Right, it was more than the sand of the sea. That's an expression. You you can't count it, right? There's there's too much. God's great plenty. Revelation twenty one twenty one tells us about, you know, in the future, in in heaven, we're gonna see that the streets are paved with what, gold. with gold, because God has so many, <laughs> has so much that you're gonna walk on it. It's it's gonna be meaningless because he's got so much. It's not precious anymore because he's so rich. The third thing that we saw or we see from this passage is that Joseph went and he opened the storehouses. Right When, when the Egyptians and, and the whole rest of the world were coming to Joseph and, and doing what he said to do, he opened up the storehouses so that he could provide. And God's God's got plenty. He's got storehouses of great plenty. 1 Corinthians 10 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you or allow you to be tempted above that ye are able. What are you going through? He says, He will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape. He can open the storehouses. His word is your way of escape. And he says that you may be able to bear it. God will provide you with the means necessary because God's got the resources necessary. His ability meets where yours ends. His ability starts where yours ends. And ours ends pretty early. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 says, And such trust have we through Christ to Godward or toward God Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Where we fall short, he makes up the difference, doesn't he? Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verses eight through ten says, this is Paul talking. Paul had an infirmity, he said it was an infirmity in his flesh. He had some sort of illness or or, or deficiency. Says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times And it's not me that's strong, is it? It's it's Christ showing through me. So when I don't have what it takes, and that's most of the time, God makes up the difference. I can only reach so far. I only have so much energy, I only have so much time. I say things wrong a lot of the time. <laughs> I have the right heart, but but I don't have the, the rest of what's required to finish it. When I don't have anything to give, he always has more the storehouses are open. His is always abundance. And for those that come to him in obedience and love, the storehouses are wide open. He wants to provide. And that doesn't mean that what he's going to provide is, okay, well, you know, you came to me, and so the rest of your life is just going to be smooth sailing. It's going to be easy. No, we know from Joseph's life, we know from our own lives, without even cracking the book open, that that life goes like this, doesn't it? It just goes up and down, it's twists and turns, it's, it's rough, and then it's wonderful, and then it's not, and God promises that he can provide what it takes to nourish you through all of it, so that you can keep growing through all of it, because he's got a plan. And so, if we can get down the road like Joseph and look back over our shoulder and see that, man, every single time God was faithful. Every single time. And, and often, often I stuck with him. I struggled. I fell down some. He picked me up. But often I stuck with him. We're going to see when we look back over our lives just like Joseph did. There's wealth, and it's not financial wealth, There's wealth gained from a lifetime of faithfulness. That's what we're seeing in the life of Joseph now. The dream is starting to come true that God gave him when he was a young man. And Joseph didn't do it. But God took him to this mountaintop and to the next valley, to the next mountaintop, to the next valley, because he was preparing him to rescue the entire world. Joseph needed to know that life wasn't fair, and he wasn't just dad's favorite, and he wasn't always going to get his way, and he wasn't always going to have the coat of many colors and be automatically respected by everybody around him. He needed to know that life stinks. Oh, but God's still there. And the next day, life might stink more, and it might be worse the next day after that, but God's still there. And God's still made a promise, and God's still going to hold to his promises. And then when life gets really big and awesome and, 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 and everything's mountaintops, God's still there. And God expects when you're on the mountaintop to be putting away, and putting away, right, and storing up for when the next valley comes. But what, what do we do? We... We wait till the valley and then we pray like crazy to get to the next mountaintop. And then we lay down up there because the sun's warmer, right? And then we're in the valley again and we're praying. And he wants us to be laying up in store all the time and accessing when we're in the valley what we already laid up in store. Not, not panicking and freaking out because... Life's falling apart all around me. Is God even here? Yeah, absolutely, he's still there. And he's got storehouses. He'll make up the difference. Man, wouldn't it be better if we just did what he told us? Wouldn't it be better if we just just went to Joseph, went to Jesus and said, what, what do you want me to do? I want you to store up. I want you to lay up in store. I want you to gather now so that you've got riches later. I'll always make up the difference because you'll always fall short. That's, that's a fact. Why don't you just do it the way I tell you to do it? Can you imagine how many other people you can bring with you if you're not panicked and worried about yourself? He's got a plan. Verses 51 and 52 are incredible. Joseph has two sons in the midst of the seven years of plenty. Verse 51 says, And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, For God, he said, or said he, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Now, do you think Joseph actually forgot? I'm not sure where I came from anymore. God made me forget. No, he named his son, that God made me forget what? The pain. Doesn't mean it didn't hurt. It means the blessings of a lifetime walking with God far outweigh what life throws at you. The good that God provides far outweighs the trials that life throws at you. In the midst of the trial, you forget that that's a fact. In the midst of the valley, you forget how wonderful the mountaintop was. In the midst of the famine, you forget how plenteous God is. Hopefully you laid up in store so that you still know he's there. Hopefully you didn't forget. Every time he looked at his son named Manasseh, he had the opportunity to think, God made me forget. Forget what? Man, life's hard. I didn't forget that life's hard. I just remember, I choose to remember how good God is. And he's been good every step of the way. Whether I've been with him or not. 2 Corinthians 4:16 and 18, or through 18. For which cause we faint not? But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Check this out. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, the spiritual things, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Joseph had the right focus, didn't he? he? He had a focus on God's promises. He had a focus on delivering people and delivering God's word to people. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he says, For I reckon, okay, and that, that means to agree with God. That doesn't mean that Paul supposes it, it might be possible. I reckon. I reckon it might be true. No. He says, I reckon, that means I agree with God, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Okay, now, I can make that statement, and it doesn't mean a whole lot. Paul, who was imprisoned time and time again, and shipwrecked and beaten and eventually martyred for Christ, can say that, and that ought to carry a lot of weight with us. He agrees with God. He reckons that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know what I, I truly believe? Some people who suffer more, man, they're going to understand it more when they get to heaven. Some people who had to slug it out through sickness and, and disease and, and had to just suffer in this life man they're going to get that glory they're going to understand it at such a higher level than we are oh it's going to be awesome it's going to be glorious for all of us but they're going to have a perspective we won't have won't they Paul understood the sufferings of this present time and then letter B Ephraim the other son in Genesis 41:52 says, The name of the second called he Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. God was there in the worst of it, wasn't he? And my wife's uncle used to say this all the time. I'm sure a lot of people have said it different ways, but on your sheet, get it this way, fruit grows in the valleys, not on the mountaintops. Right, Fruit doesn't grow on the mountaintop. There's nothing up there. It grows through the hard work. It grows through the struggle. It grows through the tough times. It grows in the valleys of life. That's where we grow. That's where we change. That's where we understand God in different ways than we would if life was just easy all the time. Because we we wouldn't try. So God says, Hey, by the way, life's good right now. There's a valley coming. What are you doing to prepare? Second Peter Chapter one, verses five through ten, it says, And beside this, giving all diligence. Man, I don't know that we understand that word diligence. Add to your faith virtue. Right? You have faith in the Lord. You have a relationship with Christ. Add to that virtue. Virtue is just simply doing what you know he wants you to do. It's obedience. And add to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. God wants you to see ahead. He wants you to know what's coming so that you can plan. He hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these these things, ye shall never fall. What an awesome promise that is. Joseph, through all of the mess, he could have taken positions of pride at any time. But it was God that gives the visions, right? It was God that that gives the interpretations. It's not me. I can't take God's credit. We look at that list of things he says to add, he says, you know, to add virtue. How can you show virtue if you never obey? You get a choice. How can you learn temperance if you never have choices? Patience without trials. Godliness, brotherly kindness, love without people and situations that require you to sacrifice yourself for the benefit of others, even though they're not willing to sacrifice themselves for you. To love people the way Christ loves is a very high and lonely calling sometimes. Every bit of what we go through is to make us more like Christ, to make us better equipped, to make us more mature in order to point others to Joseph so they can look to him and do what he says to do, and be fed and rescued. Everything we go through is so that we can grow and mature and point everyone to Jesus. Life goes up, and life comes back down. We normally default to spending the most time with God when, when life is down. Wisdom says you put the armor on before the battle starts. Not scramble to put it on when you're already taking blows. You store up before the famine hits. You trust the word of Jesus before the famine hits. You go to the storehouse when you lack. Because he never does. You do this over and over and over again in your life and you will begin to forget your toil and you'll begin to see his continual blessing. Just like Joseph. Not because the toil is not there, but because the storehouses are wide open and the blessings are so great. How do you bear fruit when you have nothing to give? You go to the storehouse. God has plenty, and he always makes up the difference in what you lack and what I lack. I'll we'll finish with this passage. I don't know that it's on your sheet. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let, let patience have her perfect work, That ye may be perfect, mature, and entire, wanting nothing. That means lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally. And it braideth not, he doesn't hold back, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, not wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Do you believe that God cannot lie? He said he cannot lie. If that's true, he's made some promises. Some incredible promises. He's made some promises about the value of his word in your life and we don't read it. He's, he's made some promises about the power of words in his book to transform your life and get you through situations and get you away from temptations and mature you and grow you up. What are you doing with that book? Are you gathering it? Are you laying it up? Are you keeping it? right? O- obeying that, that book is, it's simply, you're, you're, you're finding out what God says is true about something, you're, you're agreeing with him. God, you're right. And you're aligning your life to do what it says. And then you watch as he blesses your life. Not because you're special, but because he's powerful. And you give him control. And He leads. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for the life of Joseph again. Just, and when he's looking back over his life and, and we're seeing that he's about to head into more mountaintops and more valleys. He knows seven years of famine are coming. But he knows you're there. You've proven yourself. Now I know some of us haven't been walking with you as long, certainly as Joseph And maybe we've only seen you do a few things. And so I pray that those folks would be able to stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Those folks would be able to to take a chance on you and put their faith and trust in what you say is true. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man comes unto the Father except by him. Except through you, Lord. Father, I pray that Tonight you were glorified by this message. I pray that we would be changed by it. I pray that we would see the value of your word and we would start just digging into that book and keeping it and obeying it and laying it up for when we need it later because we're going to need it later. We love you. I pray the song is glorifying to you as well. In Christ's name I pray.